Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the .NET on AWS show. I'm your host, Brandon Minnick, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Francois. Francois, Hello. how was your week? Hello, Brandon. My, my week was awesome. Um, uh, uh, a week focusing on building .NET stuff. Um for uh for bedrock amazon bedrock our um foundation model uh generative ai service um which have uh go uh, generally available on september 28 uh so as i couldn't wait to to play with this service and try the different <laughs> foundation model all my week was okay let, let's build some stuff fun stuff so it was a nice week when you can focus on coding and and like I was a, like a kid, you know, like oh, what a new toy! Like it was Christmas. Yes, a new new toy. Let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. Yeah, I saw um, you uh, you announced this .NET FM playground. Yes. Tell us more about that. So it is a .NET Foundation model playground. So in in the AWS console, if you log to your AWS account, you can go to the a bedrock service, and you have a nice playground where, when you can test a chat feature or just text. You you can write a prompt uh, and select um, a foundation model, like uh, for example, Anthropic Cloud V2 uh, foundation model, which is a large language model tailored for generating text. Uh, but you have also a um, uh, co uh, common model from Cohere or uh, the um, model from uh, AI to Labs. And so you have this playground um, in the console. And I was, okay, could I have the same playground in .NET, in a .NET app, uh, and, and building the same stuff to show all the .NET developers how they can use Amazon Bedrock in the background to, to build a chat with um, uh, the foundation models available in Amazon Bedrock? Uh, or um, or to use uh, stable diffusion, for example, which is still in preview. So um, I've built this code samples. It's uh, I think it, you will be happy. It is a .NET Maui application. So um, love it. <laughs> so so yet yeah, for for the moment, it supports only Windows and macOS. Uh, to to be uh, transparent, I, I didn't fo uh, focus yet on supporting uh, iOS and Android, but it isn't in the work. So if you, you want to try Bedrock and play with some uh, foundation model, you can just uh, check out the code and, and try it. And any feedback um, are welcome. Uh, I'm still working on it. I think it will be my my, my toy from for the next 12 months. So uh, I, I anticipate to make a lot of improvement to, to these code samples. And any feedback is uh, welcome. Uh, to give me some direction uh, on which I want I should work on to demonstrate how to use Bedrock. Yeah, this is really cool. And uh, if you if you haven't heard of Bedrock before, uh, Bedrock's a really cool new tool on AWS that essentially allows you to program your your app. So how do I put this? Let's say you're making an app and you want to use a large language model. So you could. Uh, write the code hard-coded for a specific model like Llama 2. Uh, but let's say a couple years from now, 
or maybe a couple months at the pace that AI is coming out, uh, you want to switch over to Llama 3 or 4, um, likely you're going to have to recode your code. You're going to have to change the APIs that you hit as they grow. Or if you want to completely change your different model, you're basically going to have to rip it out and start over. Um, but with Amazon Bedrock, it's basically your API in the cloud that allows you to work with multiple large language models. So you can just tell Bedrock, like, I'm going to send this, I'm going to make this request to you. Um, and I want you to use this, this model. So what I'm really excited about is you know, there's, there's what I call this, this arms race. And I don't mean that in a bad way, uh, but a lot of companies are making really, really cool language models. And then I see this world where we end up with very specific language models that do one thing really, really well, and we'll want our apps to grow with that. So uh, with Bedrock, it's actually really easy. I don't know. <laughs> I've never made a large language model before, but uh, we, AWS has a, a Bedrock NuGet package. You just add it into your app and you can talk to any of the large language models that are, uh, that are out there supported in the cloud. So uh, check it out. Uh, Francois has actually already written all the code for you, so you don't have to figure it out at what is it? GitHub.com slash build dash on dash AWS slash dot net D O T N E T dash FM foundation model FM dash playground. So we'll drop a link in the show notes <laughs> just in case you didn't yep. catch all that. But really, really cool, Francois. Great job with that. Thank you. And I have one announcement before we um, get going with our awesome guest today. If you haven't heard, we now are also an audio podcast. So we'll, we'll still stream live with you every first and third Monday of the month. We'll be here at the same time on the AWS Twitch channel. So don't get to forget to subscribe so you can come hang out with us uh, twice a month. But if you can't make a show, don't worry about it because the .NET on AWS show is now an audio podcast that you can subscribe to and download and listen to us wherever. So let us join you on your, on your commute to work or when you go out to get the groceries or when you're walking the dog, make sure to subscribe to the .NET on AWS show. Tell your friends, leave a review so that other people can, can also find it. But with that, without further ado... We have such an amazing guest on our show today. Uh, you've, you've probably heard of him. He's a .NET enthusiast. He's a big fan of DevOps, cloud native. He speaks at conferences all around the world. Martin, welcome to the Hi, show. Eric. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much for joining thanks. us, Martin. Um, for anybody who hasn't met you yet, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Martin. I'm a, like you said, .NET enthusiast from Vienna, Austria. Um, I work for a consulting company, Tier to Every. So I do help customers be successful and also help making our project successful. So I do a lot of things over various projects, which is usually the interesting part. Um, like I'd say the duct tape work, <laughs> but it also makes it actually do so. So. I think we settled on like senior consultant and that means like, yeah, whatever is, is necessary to be doing. So um, I also do a lot of AI stuff recently. So I'm also very excited about the Amazon Bedrock service with like uh, being AI. able to, to access even services like Llama 2 and for example, switching out embedding models. That's something very interesting to do as well. So yeah, when, when I first heard about it, you know, it, as AWS employees, Francois and I learned about 
that this was in the works uh, a while ago, um, it it made a lot of sense to me because there was these these big announcements, you know, um, with OpenAI and ChatGPT and uh, all these amazing models that are coming out, um, but. Amazon didn't have an announcement, so there was there was kind of a lot of swirl around. Um, like, is is Amazon? Did Amazon miss the boat? Is, is AWS doing anything? And it's like, no, no, no. Like, we we got it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be your home for your for your large language models instead of necessarily your language model. But yeah. even even with that, um, I forget what was the. What's the model that we we're working with now, Francois? There's a big announcement. Uh, what two weeks ago? Oh uh, yes, uh, Anthropic. So we we are working a lot with Anthropic. Uh, indeed, um, we've invested um, in the company and we are partnering with them. Um, we are also um, made some announcement with Meta because uh, Lama Two is coming uh, soon to Amazon Bedrock, and I know a lot of people are very enthusiastic um, regarding uh, Lama Two. So so it will come in uh, in a few weeks. So. And as you said, it's it's really about okay. We don't know. So first, it's the earth of LLS uh, providing developers with the building blocks they need to build their uh, application. And I think with Bedrock, we are right there. We are pro- providing building blocks, but we don't decide for them. It's up to them to, uh, and we encourage people to test the different uh, foundation model because based on their use case. One may be uh, better than another, and it is really based on the use case they want to build. Uh, there is no yet clear winner, um, and sometimes we we are looking at, I would say the the most powerful uh, language model. But those most powerful language models sometimes are the most expensive, and for your use case, um, smaller large language model with less parameters are l- less expensive but yet do the job so um, from a I would say a business perspective you you have to think uh, carefully about okay which large language model do I want to use uh, from a cost perspective from uh, um, from a, a fit perspective uh, regarding your use case so we, we don't want, as usual, we don't want to choose for our customer. We want to let them choose and equip them with the, the best. Uh, so that's that's what we try to do with Bedrock. Yeah, I, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was just listening to a podcast and I wish I could remember it so I can give them credit for the quote. But um, they said something that really struck me that if using uh, GPT-4 um, for simple tasks... Like even <laughs> just writing thing. code, yeah. They they said it's like taking your Ferrari to go get groceries. Like you you don't need to burn that much gas. You don't need to buy that <laughs> expensive car because um, yeah, that all that stuff costs money. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of it right now is being subsidized, um, but eventually <laughs> we're gonna have to start paying for it. Just like Ubers used to be five dollars, and now. They're way more expensive. <laughs> I've had these conversations with customers as well. Where they have like these like playgrounds, and then yeah, can we use GPT four for that? And yeah, it's gonna be about twenty five times as, as expensive. So, like GPT four can write me some better SQL queries to get data, but you know, for processing the results and answering questions, I could 
use any large language model that can do that effectively. Yeah. For sure. So it's really yeah, choosing yeah. the right thing and not, not the best thing. Like we're at the beginning of the hype cycle. So things are going to show <laughs> up left and right. Um, we're going to be disappointed with some of them, but in the end we will, you know, find the things that work and that solve actual use cases. And that's also means like we don't have to be the first, we just have to solve a use case and be, be successful. Yeah, I agree. And even in, even in the comments, Russ, thanks for joining us. Russ says that the models are emerging so quickly that Bedrock is such a great idea to allow you to switch out when the new hotness arrives. And I couldn't agree more. And and like I said earlier, Russ, you know, I'm I'm not an AI ML guy. I don't I don't really understand it. Although Chat GPT is kind of cool that it can write some code for me. I've used it to write some unit tests. Um, but yeah, with uh, Checking out the code that Francois wrote with just, it's a bedrock, NuGet package, you slap it into your app, a couple lines of code, you're up and running. So super, super cool. Uh, but Martin, let's go, let's go yeah. way back because um, we always love to ask our guests how you got started. So when did you first start coding in .NET and in C Sharp? So that's actually quite of an interesting story since I first got a bit of into the like Microsoft coding ecosystem with like Visual Basic, like I learned Visual Basic at age 11, I think. Um, and then I started to like be interested in, okay, what other things can I do? And then Microsoft pushed this like .NET and Visual Studio.NET thing. So I got a trial version of that. But then over time, I also said, okay, I'll maybe switch to Linux because, you know, me and Windows and Microsoft, like I wasn't really a Microsoft person. So... Um, I switched to Linux, and that also meant like Visual Basic was not a thing, but you know, there was C Sharp, and I also learned a bit.NET, so some of the things seemed familiar. So I actually learned a lot of C Sharp using, using like Mono. Um, so I've been using Mono development as well. Um, also used Mono on Windows, I think. So um, that was an interesting, interesting story because I actually learned it from the other side. And that's also why I was very excited once I learned that uh, .NET actually was going to support Linux back in 2014. So, so, so j j just to, to let people know, so you mean you've started with C Sharp on Linux way before uh, .NET were, went actually uh, cross-platform uh, with yes. support of Linux? Yes. That's a, that's a big story, yes, indeed. <laughs> I, I guess you've learned a lot of SIG by, by yourself. Yeah. So lots of self-studying, lots of lots of um, finding with code that did not compile and then Googling for the for like how do I actually <laughs> make this work? <laughs> like I didn't even go to a technical school. Um, like I have like a non-technical education and then decided, okay, let's study information systems management, which has some technical components to it. Because I, I always was comfortable learning it by myself. And that also means that when I try to solve problems for that I have, then I can also try to explain how to solve them to other people. It's also how I kind of got started into giving conference presentations or like talks. It's like, yeah, .NET switched from project JSON to MS Build again. And I was like, yeah, how does MS Build work? And <laughs> Then I kind of started learning MS Build and then figured, hey, I can actually answer some questions in GitHub that people are asking. And then it went from GitHub to like Stack Overflow and 
I think now I'm one of the top something guys in Stack Overflow that answer questions to MS Build. So that wow. kind of happened with that. <laughs> Do you have the, the gold MS Build badge on Stack Overflow? I, I think so, yeah. That's impressive. I don't think I have yeah. any gold badges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's... It's, um, it's specific yeah, sorry. But I, then I, again, I, Stack Overflow was also interesting because I could actually take a lot of the common questions and then turn this into material like, hey, these are kind of interesting things to do. Here's how to solve them. Very smart. Because you know people yeah. want to know more and conferences want to present talks that people want to come see. So <laughs> if they know Martin's the guy, then there yes, you go. Yeah. Lately, I've been focusing more on, on performance improvements, for example. So um, since we have like lots of Kubernetes-based systems, we're doing more and more with containers, but also trying to optimize like how fast can we deploy things? What are the minimum resources that we need? Like especially um, doing things on-prem, but also cloud-native in, in like uh, hosted Kubernetes where we can deploy either to cloud or to on-premise instances, like we have to specify like how much memory do we need? How much CPU do we need? Should we set CPU limits? And then making that work well in a system where three other companies also deploy to the same system in order to have things working together seamlessly and ideally not stopping a factory. <laughs> <laughs> so so those are the things that have been bothering me for for. Um, a couple years. Um, so .NET has been improving greatly for every release. Uh, the container support has has like increased dramatically. Um, like just instances where the garbage collector could have performed better, it it now does since a couple of years, which is great. But also, there's some some little tweaks you can do yourself to to help there. Yeah, and. It's, it's one of my favorite things with .NET. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love C Sharp. It's my favorite programming language. I never want to leave it. Um, but every year, they, the .NET team releases a new version. You know, .NET 8's just around the corner. Uh, RC2, the second release candidate for .NET 8, just came out. So if you haven't gotten a chance to use .NET 8 yet, highly recommend it because of exactly what Martin's just talking about. And even you know, Russ back, back in the comments is saying that You'll be happy with .NET 8s if you're focusing on performance because of all the work they're doing with AOT and tiering. And actually, Martin, before the show, we were chatting about uh, <laughs> native AOT. So what is that? Tell us about that. So native AOT is basically a version of compile harder. <laughs> so if you think... <laughs> because in .NET, usually we write code that runs on all platforms, which means it is not really machine code. So it's not yet really optimized for running on the actual target device that we're deploying to. And native AOT basically um, really makes sure that the code is just the thing that we need to load and run without doing any other compilation stuff. But that has a couple of drawbacks. Like we can't do any, any dynamic compilation. We can't really load plugins while running. Um, but on the other hand, we don't need to load a lot of compiler stuff in memory. We don't need to, to ship all kinds of things that we actually don't need at runtime. 
Um, so we can reduce the memory and application size footprint quite a lot. Um, unless we're using lots and lots of generics. <laughs> um, I've hit issues there. <laughs> um, and that makes startup really fast. So I think you shared some of the statistics. Um, I've looked at these samples that you, you provided. So basically a, a um, AWS Lambda function where you have a sample application that reduced the cold start. I think in P99, it was like two seconds faster starting up a simple, <laughs> simple application. So that's quite a bit. Yeah, I'll drop and a even link to these cold start times here in the comments. Um, but yeah, essentially what we're seeing now, uh, we don't have the numbers for .NET 8 yet. Hopefully those will be coming soon. Uh, we'll have to poke friend of the show, James. <laughs> He's the one that does the metrics for us. Uh, yeah. But yeah, with .NET 7, uh, native AOT, let's see, on a x86 CPU, Cold start times got down to 266 milliseconds for AWS Lambda, which is insane. Like blinking your eyes takes 300 milliseconds. So faster than a blink of an eye is the cold start times now, thanks to native AOT. Yeah. So I'm I'm really hoping to make use of that myself. Um, I'm not sure some of the production applications that we use are already compatible because you need to make sure that you are all the libraries and all the packages that you use, but also all your own library code is compatible, especially if you have like enterprise code that does lots of like dynamic looking up plugins and, and resolving rule engine components and stuff like that. But, you know, um, on some of the applications that we deploy, um, for example, we have some test environments with like very low CPU and memory limits because these environments do nothing for most of the time and we don't want to like over allocate but also not under allocate so we want to make sure like it's responsive when used um but we're looking at like a minute and a half like really startup time with doing all the jitting startup work and for the first requests to really go through um but that also means i think i signed like what 200 300 milli cpu which is really not a lot um <laughs> it's, for me it's just negligible like yeah it doesn't even matter if it's 200 milliseconds i don't even care about it <laughs> yeah. i mean if I, when we run it in production it's also basically nothing but in production we can assign like four six eight cpus to the service and be done with it but you know for real test environments i want to deploy things but there's also stuff you can do there as well so um like .NET has, as you mentioned, it has tiered compilation since I think .NET Core three, or was it three one something like so basically ancient in modern in modern measures of time. <laughs> and what it did was then also uh, enable a feature or that's now on by default in .NET eight, which is dynamic PGO, so dynamic profile guide optimization. So the first compilation is fast, and then it when running it will get even faster. So that's a way to like optimize running things. So also something I'm very excited about in .NET 8, because I used to tell people like, hey, there's a trick to make your app faster. You just need to do one thing. Like there is one fact <laughs> you can set and your application will run faster. I know it by yeah. default. 
Um, yeah, tell me, tell me more about that, Martin, because I've, you know, I've seen the blog posts, you know, Stephen Taub, he's one of the crazy, crazy smart engineers on the .NET team. He puts out pages and pages <laughs> of uh, documentation every year about what they've done to make it faster. And yeah, I saw they were talking about, um, talking about this, but to be honest, I still don't get it. I mean, it sounds like my app's going to run faster, but yeah, how's, how's this work? I can actually show you. Um, so I was just about to share my screen. So I have a little sample. I have a couple of sample programs for all of these things, but I can show you something um, in here. I'm not sure if you can see it yet, but I still will explain yep. everything that's going on. So I've created a, a very, very simple program that does just loops of doing stuff. And the only thing it has, it has two interfaces and two actual implementation. It has a, a factory interface, iFactory, that has one implementation that creates things. So there's an iFactory that creates iThings, and there is one concrete implementation of iThing. And basically, it ha this class has one method that I just call in a loop and one property that I access in a loop. And um, this property changes value. So it's like I, I give the thing a treat. And after a certain number of tweets, in this case, 10,000, it says, yeah, I'm happy. And then I have a loop of loops that just uses the factories to, so basically a worklet uses the factory to create a thing and give it treats until it's happy. And that I have in loops that I execute a couple times. So this is a run of 10,000 times um, running that thing that does 10,000 iterations. So just very, very basic, very rudimentary um, work that I do. And now let me run that in release configuration. Oh, interesting. Is the PGO flag only set for release configs? Um, so I can run it in debug mode. However, debug mode does not run all the optimizations because debug mode means yeah don't touch any of the of the machine code that you generate don't try to optimize stuff because then debugging wouldn't really work so like these you, you would be surprised at like how these um stepping behaviors work when you turn on release mode um so for anything where you want to read like yeah how many milliseconds did it take yeah do it in release mode also, if you want to really go into the actual measurements, maybe use a proper benchmarking library and not <laughs> for the PGO stuff. Actually, benchmarking can be a bit tricky since the you won't will not have a good like distribution curve of the of the results since you know you just change speed in the middle of running things. So I think it's called a bimodal distribution that this causes, which causes like benchmark.net to throw. Show interesting, interesting values. So what happens there? I have a, um, I set this to .NET 7 and you can see, yeah, it's around. Um, so I have these iterations that list how long they took and they say it's like, yeah, around 350 milliseconds each. And if I do one thing now uh, and say, here to PGO. So, <laughs> True. So I have and, this uh, CS Sharp project file this. open. Yeah, the yeah. CS Proj. The CS Proj in the main property group, I add a, an entry that says tiered PGO true. 
I run the same thing again. Well, and you can see it's faster. So we got we went from uh, around 350 milliseconds to like 140 milliseconds. There's also one thing that's interesting. So I have like four five iterations that are running, and the first iteration is probably is like around double the amount of time that takes double the amount of time to the LSD, which is yeah the first calls are slow, and then it just gets faster over time because the JIT compiler like uh, injects some code into the machine code and it generates it just does some statistic countings on like, hey, what actually gets passed into the method? And then it figures out, yeah, I should maybe recompile this one and maybe also enable additional magic to make it even faster. Because <laughs> like a lot of enterprise code, um, I have interfaces with only one implementation. So it's actually pretty easy for the compiler to figure out what I want to do. Because um, for example, if I call um, thing.givTreat, which calls the an interface method, it would need to look up like, hey, what is the class? How do we resolve this me method? What the JIT compiler will do in the second iteration, it will try to rewrite my code and uh, into like, hey, is if thing is the concrete class thing, and directly call this uh, concrete method instead and not do the interface resolution. And that's something that the uh, that, uh, uh, runtime figures out based on the statistics that it collects. So they will rewrite my code in this way. There's also ways to actually do this like ahead of time. Yes. And of course, like I have to set this to true for like .NET 6 and .NET 7, but I can just switch to .NET 8 instead. Let's do this now. I just change the target framework to .NET 8. If I run the same thing again. And removed dynamic PGO true out of yep. the, the CS proj file. So there's no specifications about PGO. We're just targeting .NET 8 now. Yeah, I'm just if I had created a new .NET 8 um, console application, just the defaults, and it already has this benefit. So it's around around the same thing. Um, I could also go through the troubles of trying to remove the first um, call times. Uh, I can do this using using static PGO. There's also some tools for that. The tool for that is called .NET PGO. Um, however, this has the like slight disadvantage that I actually need to know like what kind of target machine do I need to optimize for. So there are ways to do that. Um, I really, I don't really recommend everyone go look at that, um, but it's something interesting that's also possible. This is this is incredible, Martin. Um, so I'm. I'm curious, um, kind of going back to, you know, we were talking about AWS Lambda uh, a minute ago, uh, because, you know, when you think about it, these these cold start times happen because the way serverless works is our code's not constantly running. Our, our code that we publish to Lambda is, it's in the cloud, but 
it's stored in a file um, and it's not until it's triggered. So whether it's an HTTP trigger or an S3 trigger, um, that's kind of when AWS has to quickly allocate resources, spin up our code and run it. And in the .NET world, a lot of that cold start time was just because of how .NET works. You know, .NET always had to spin up the runtime. And like you mentioned, it uses a just-in-time compiler. So it would have to get all that lined up ahead of time. Um, so with .NET 8 and dynamic PGO being turned on and native AOT all combined, or rather, maybe a better way to ask it, can we combine all of that to just have blazing fast startup times? So um, with dynamic PGO, I'm, I'm not that sure. So we do have static PGO that allows us to also embed some of the of these like statistics into the assembly. Um, I'm not actually sure if that's being used for for native AOT. I can tell you about the sample that I just showed. It's it's just as fast uh, with AOT as it would be with like the dynamic um, PGO enabled. So um, the runtime also seems to have an easier time if really only like one implementation of the interface is around. Um, I'm actually more enthusiastic about the need that. To, to reduce the application size and the amount of things that are loaded at runtime with a with an application that's AOT compiled. So I also have a, a small sample, um, a small uh, console app that basically creates some random data um, or loads it from a CSV file and runs an, a calculation algorithm like um, it's called the Hungarian algorithm. It's it's a cost assignment algorithm, like to determine the global nearest neighbors um, of like radar targets that we tracked uh, for a customer that does um, a road infrastructure. However, the same thing works for finding the best assignments of tasks to um, people that do it for money. Um, for selecting vendors. So lots of things that could be done with this algorithm. Uh, long story short, it's just something that I spent a lot of time in optimizing. And it has some time that it, it takes to finish this. But also it shows, um, let me just test if that works, not run. Right, so it creates a, a matrix of a thousand by two thousand entries, runs this algorithm, it takes about eight seconds. And now I say, hey, this is a nice command line tool, let's publish it. So I do.NET publish. And I have my publish folder with a couple files in there. So our um, library or DLL file that's actually executable, a in my case now a Windows executable that's a wrapper, and of course my dependencies which are MathNet libraries. But then of course if I copy that over or want to ship that just as a standalone container, I'm, I'm actually missing the runtime. So depending on what's on the target machine, it may work, it may not work. In this case, it uses .NET 8. If someone does not have a .NET 8 runtime, it will just not run. So what I can do is 
make sure that I actually include a runtime. So I can publish for a specific runtime. So let's publish for Windows 64-bit. Uh, also publish as That's a single file. So we say .NET publish dash R space win dash six. <laughs> I lost it. Win dash x64. So that'll specify optimize this for a Windows 64-bit CPU. Is that right? Yes. And also I'm I'm using actually a syntax that allows me to pass MS build parameters. So I can also say dash P um, colon publish single file equals true, which means, hey, I only want one file to pop out there and not all the runtime dependencies of the actual runtime. So if I now go into the publish folder that was now created, so it's been released, net 8.0, win x64, publish, only has two files in there, an exe file and some debug symbols. That's fun, but if I now look at my directory listing, that's around 69 megabytes. Like that got from a small, from a small application, from a small tool to an actual shippable thing. 70 megabytes, is that something I want to ship? Right, because looking at your code, I'm seeing 28 lines of code for this console app, so... Not a whole yeah. lot going on, but it was still 60, 70 megabytes in size. Yeah. And I don't have that many dependencies. So I, I, I might want to come down a little. And there's a feature in .NET that's actually a prerequisite for ahead-of-time compilation, um, which is called trimming. So I can say publish trim equals true. So MS build syntax dash p colon publish trimmed equals true. I run the same thing again. And what it will try now is to find anything that's not used, both in the runtime, but also in my dependencies, and try to cut everything away that's not needed. So if I check again, um, the file is now 12 megabytes. <laughs> 12, 13 megabytes. So a lot of waste just removed. So the thing is called tree shaking. It's like I... I, I shake everything and everything that's not correct connected to the roots just falls off the tree and I end up with a much leaner executable in that case. So I love that. Um, I will, I will say, um, so yes, this is great, but, uh, keep in mind, um, sometimes it's not perfect. So, you know, it's going to get better every year. Obviously, the .NET team, like we said, keeps putting out awesome releases that make our lives easier. Um, but I know from being a, a longtime Xamarin slash .NET MAUI developer, um, actually, a, a lot of these technologies are coming from the Xamarin world. You mentioned Mono. Mono was the C-sharp runtime that ran on Linux back in the day uh, before .NET Core was a thing. And... And I'm still actually answering questions on Stack Overflow, um, where sometimes, uh, you know, this is very specific to Xamarin and .NET MAUI, but probably applies to other XAML languages like uh, uh, WPF or UWP. Um, but yeah, there's a couple times where if you only reference something in XAML, the, the trimmer 
will won't see it in C sharp and assume you're not using a certain library. So for my library, um, the one I lead, the .NET Maui Community Toolkit, uh, we've had we've had a couple uh, issues opened up on a repo where folks are getting these weird errors where it's like, hey, it says it can't find your library. What's happening? It's like, well, okay, yep, yeah, you know, there's a thing and in the mono world, it's called the linker. In the .NET slash .NET Core world, it's called the trimmer. I assume they'll <laughs> they'll unify those <laughs> names soon. But um, it's like, yeah, you know, Mono's got this thing called the linker, and it's going to remove files that it doesn't think you're using. And right now, it doesn't know how to search XAML. So there are little edge cases like that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's yeah. it's incredible. You can, but we just took that from seventy megabytes to twelve. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, since you mentioned XAML, yeah, WPF, for example, is not supported. Um, currently, also COM interop, which was also the reason why WinForms was not fully supported. Um, the idea was for COM to move to a new version of doing COM interop called COM wrappers, just a different way of doing COM interop in .NET. And those things will then actually work. So there's a chance to to get this working with WinForms application as well. I'm not actually sure how the progress on that was in .NET 8, but at least that's what the goal of the of this whole feature was. And of course, once we have have trimming and our application works with trimming, I can go one step further and um, do a head of time compilation. So now I replaced all these additional publish arguments with one. So dash p colon publish aot equals true. Now let's run that. Now it's thinking a bit harder. Again, it's it's compiling harder. Yeah, that is writes, one thing I have to tell people. Is... Code. <laughs> That's right. You don't want to turn this on for debug builds because you don't want your debug builds to take this long. But for your release builds that you're publishing once, easy. Yeah. And now it's three megabytes. What? Yeah. Wait, wait what? <laughs> What's how? What? What is? What is that? It's, it's just <laughs> like my mind was blown when they when they got it down to seven megabytes, and now it's three megabytes. So what is? There is and, one and for, for the folks. Yeah, for the so the, for the folks listening on the podcast, uh, Martin's been uh, running uh, .NET uh, publish via the command line and has been adding in dash p colon um, properties, and he just got rid of all of them. And the only one left in there was what, what was it again, Martin? It was just uh, AOT publish AOT equals true. Publish AOT. Publish AOT equals true. So we're, we're even writing less code for MS build. So what's what's publish AOT equals true doing that uh, trimming equals true? And I already forgot the other flags we had that all the other <laughs> flags weren't doing. So basically, we, we got uh, rid of a lot of stuff in the runtime that we don't need because we do no longer need a JIT compiler. We no longer need the infrastructure to load um, load um, libraries. No longer need the infrastructure to emit cross assembly cause and anything like that. We just need the actual code that will run on the target machine. 
and no infrastructure code. I'm so excited. That, that <laughs> even removes yeah. the thing that that even removes a, a lot of the things that otherwise could not really be part of the tree shaking things. Wow, there was yeah. one downside, yeah, now. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I just, uh, what's the <laughs> I just ran this application, and it's just maybe a little bit of a downside for the default configuration. So uh, earlier we we just run it, and it took like what seven eight seconds. Now it's taking. 46 seconds. So my application just got really, really slow. Why is that? And that's actually um, a side effect of publishing for a specific runtime and publishing native code for a specific runtime. Because what the JIT compiler does, it, it looks like what kind of CPU do I run on, what features does my CPU have, and then optimize the code for that CPU. So for example, if my CPU has uh, um, AVX256, um, acceleration, it would make use of that. In my case, um, I actually took this algorithm that I wrote. And in lots of places, you will find code uh, that says, hey, if uh, AVX2 dot is supported and do interesting calls with like, um, yeah, you using unsafe code to get actual pointers to fixed areas of memories so that the garbage collector doesn't move it around and then use hardware intrinsic to actually directly execute specific CPU instructions like load vectors, min, max. Um, there's in, an instruction called AW, um, AVX permutate 2 by 128 that I just used to reduce um, to find a specific minimum value. So lots of things I spent some time optimizing where the fallback in this case is just some nested loops, na naive loops that loop over basically um, two, two um, arrays or basically run over the whole matrix and then check a couple of things, which is kind of slow. Like there are faster ways to implement this. There are faster ways to do this. But I don't really know where my code is actually going to be run on. So um, if I'm actually pre-compiling or doing this AOT, I get the most conservative machine code um, that still runs on all the platforms that like is supported by .NET on Windows 64-bit. I can fix it, however. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of the things you can you can do in MS Build. <laughs> is I can set another property either, again, either from command line or in my C-sharp project file in my csproj. So I have the csproj open right now. Uh, go again to my main property, uh, property group. And then there's a property I can set called ILC instruction set. And there's various things you can pass in there. You can specify, hey, I'm, I support SSE3, SSE4, and so on. You can list a couple of things here. I can also set it to some some hard-coded names. For example, I'm now setting it to Skylake, which means, hey, all processors, like assume I'm running on a processor that is uh, can do everything a Skylake processor can do, which um, means um, uh, AMD Zen, for example, is compatible with that. And basically most of the CPUs produced after 2017 in the current generation. 
So something I can do to, again, let's run the publish command again. Okay, so I just published. My application is still about three megabytes in size, so nothing changed there. Even a couple bytes less. And if I run it now, it should be faster. Yeah. Wow. Now the actual calculation run <laughs> is 40, 40 seconds faster. Because we switched from naive loops to hardware optimized vector S code. It is amazing. So, <laughs> so something to keep in mind. You're a magician. You, you're ma you, you know the details. On, oh, I want to compile for exactly this, and you know how to do this. That's amazing. Yeah. But also, that, that's why it's also important when you have um, cloud vendors to kind of know what, in, what kind of infrastructure you're running on. Because then you can do these optimizations. Yeah, so I was just thinking, you know, going back to our conversation about uh, AWS Lambda and how fast the cold start times are are getting uh, with .NET seven, .NET eight. So it feels like, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Barton, that if I know that I'll always be running on an x86 processor, um, or my rather, my AWS Lambda is always running on x86 processor. I just add that into the CS Proj and let it know that this is the instruction set you need and it just will yep. optimize everything for me. Yep. And again, wow. this is, this is the, if you see <laughs> that your performance, for example, drops with native AOT. So if you're comparing like you turned AOT on, your application got smaller, your startup time got faster, but maybe your throughput decreases. Like I, I would suggest looking into this. I, I was actually going to, I was thinking the same thing. So on that link I shared in the comments that um, takes you to the table of the, the GitHub repo where we have a table of the cold start times and warm start times for .NET 6, .NET 7, .NET 8. Um, there are some numbers in there in .NET 8. And yeah, I saw that the, the native AOT times got longer. It's like the cold start time took longer. And I was wondering about that. And now I'm kind of wondering is maybe we just configured it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, noted. We'll, we'll contact James. <laughs> we'll tell him to listen to the podcast. Make sure he subscribes. Because, uh, yeah, this is incredible. These these performance tips. I mean, Martin, when's, when's your next conference talk and all these performance <laughs> tips so I can learn more? <laughs> so I'm actually going to be in, in Varsa in two weeks on the um, .NET Developer Days. I'm also going to be around at the update conference in November in Prague. And I'll also be in Mechelen in Belgium for the Cloud Brew conference. When, and when's so that? Can, um, that's in December, early December, I think second week. So yeah, I'm going to show you lots travel. more of these. <laughs> Even show you more about trimming. Like if you see my screen, you can see I have a folder for that. So. If you're interested in that, just just come come to the talk, and let's have a beer afterwards. I'd love to. Actually, that's, that's a good point, Martin. So, obviously, I want to stay tuned. I want to try and come see you. Um, but for those who want to 
stay in, stay in touch, follow along, you know, find your blog posts, find your videos, find your conference talks. Uh, where, where can they find you online? So my handle is uh, Dasmuli on most of the socials. Uh, you can find a couple of the video recordings on YouTube if you search for my name and uh, MS Build, for example. <laughs> um, otherwise, just drop me drop me a message. I can probably give you the right links to the different materials. Um, also, those demos are on my GitHub, which is also the same handle, Dasmuli. D-A-S-M-U-L-L-I. So happy to hear from you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Martin, I, I am giddy with excitement right now. And I don't even know where to start. I want to go to all my apps <laughs> and optimize them, uh, upgrade them all to .NET 8. Uh, Francois, what do you think? Um, I'm thinking about Graviton and Lambda and trying to, uh, I think uh, Daily Push uh, put a comment on this. And I want to, so Graviton is our ARM-based um, processor. Um, and I, I would like to try this and all the optimization with Graviton just to see where we can push the limit uh, with Graviton. Because um, that's my, next on my to-do list. Okay, I want to see where we can push the limit with Graviton on, on LBS Lambda. So do, do you know if all this work with um, ARM processor? Yes, it does. Okay, that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> so I have a new thing on my to-do list. I have a new thing <laughs> on my to-do list. <laughs> uh, same. And uh, Russ also in the comments is saying, you know, today I learned about the, is it, it's ILC instruction set, right? That's yeah. the property. Because the tool that's based on it's called the IL, the Immediate Language Compiler. Uh, and and I've like there were talks about renaming these flags in the project file. Um, however, it is still ILC instruction set. There are other options as well if you want to do some pass some more arguments. Wow. There's an I, item I called ILC arguments. <laughs> you can do lots of crazy stuff with that. <laughs> More than will fit in, into a day. My goodness, Martin. Uh, I, I, I wish we could. We'll have to have you back for, for round two to show off even more of this, uh, especially once .NET 8 uh, officially releases in November, which, by the way, if you haven't already, mark your calendars for .NET Conf. That'll be live in November on the same day .NET 8 releases. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like my, my project to-do list just got really, really big, but in the best way possible. Uh, and, and thank you. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the AWS Twitch channel so you never miss an episode. And now that we have our audio podcast, don't forget to download, subscribe it, leave us a comment, share it with your friends. We'll be here on the first and third Mondays of every month. And until then... We'll see you next time.